This episode is brought to you by who else but Odeon. I love an Odeon, especially an Odeon Lux. Whether I'm on the red carpet as a movie premiere or popping down to my local cinema, the feeling is always the same. Pulling open the door to hear the huge, spine-tingling Dolby Atmos sound bellowing from within. The irresistible glow of the gigantic 4K iSense screen drawing you towards it. Four times sharper to capture every detail. Relaxing into those luxurious reclining seats and feeling that sense of anticipation as you excitedly sip on your favourite tipple before emerging at the end of the film trying to put into words what you've just experienced. It's nothing short of magic. You can book your Odeon Lux experience at odeon.co.uk or on the Odeon app. They say we make movies better and I couldn't agree more. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So, if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a comment on our socials. I'll explain more at the end of the show. And finally, if you like to watch your interviews rather than listen, you can find Find the full video interviews in glorious Technicolor over on our trip to the movies Patreon. And if you want a little taster of what they're like, why not subscribe to our trip to the movies YouTube channel? Okay, back to this episode. If you're ready, uh, let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week, we are joined by a brilliant actress, author, influencer, makeup guru, and founder of the sustainable and vegan-friendly beauty brand, Authored. She can currently be seen on screen in the wonderful comedy of errors, Venice at Dawn, available right now on Amazon Prime. Taking us on today's trip to the movies is the brilliant... Tanya Burr. Hello, Tanya. How are you on this wet and windy London town morning? Hi, Alex. I'm really well, thank you. Um, a little bit tired. I had a slightly later night than I'm used to um, last night. I say late, it was like 11pm because I actually went to see a film. Um, I went to the uh, see a good, a good person, you know, Florence Pugh and Zach Braff's new film. So yeah, and, I'm good. Uh, are you going to give us a little a little review? Well, um, yes, I loved it, and I actually haven't seen anything that I've loved that much for quite some time. Um, so it was really it was a real kind of special treat to go to the cinema because I have just had a baby recently, so I don't get out very much anymore, um, and. I thought it was a really powerful film, very heavy, but I think that what Zach Graff does really well is he puts these moments of kind of release and just where you, where you can just kind of have a smile and it's not just constant heavy, 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 because I've watched some films about addiction before that go down that route. And I think you do need that kind of um, relief and release and be able to have, have a laugh along the way. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. And 11 o'clock is 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 eleven o'clock? That's late for you now. What's what's the average bedtime? Because I I'm an early go to bedder as well. About ten p.m. these days. Oh yeah, I I love an early to bed. So um, anywhere between nine thirty and ten, we fall asleep now because oh. baby goes down to bed at seven, and then we just have a couple of hours, just kind of like kind of 
debrief from the day and just kind of chill out for a bit, watch some TV, watch a film, read our books, have a glass of wine, and then go to bed. I mean, because listing uh, all the different things that that you do, um, uh, you sound eternally busy. Like, how do you balance the time? Are you just very good at time management? I feel like every single week is a different journey on the time management front because some weeks I'll think, oh, I feel like I smashed it this week. I got through everything I wanted to do. I feel like I've also been a good mum along the way. And um, it all goes to plan. Other weeks, by the end of the week, I'm feeling frazzled. And I think I definitely didn't manage this week very well time-wise. And also, even though I have done a few different things throughout my career, I'm never doing it all at once. There's always a focus at that period in time, Um, whether that's the Instagram stuff or back in the day when I did some books or um, acting. If if I'm working on on a film or a TV project, I won't be doing anything else. Like everything else kind of just suffers whilst I focus on that one thing. And um, now obviously being a, a, a new mother, I, you know, my, my son's my priority. So I just am really careful with the projects that I pick and um, spend as much time with him as possible. So well, pretty much all my time is with him. So I kind of have one or two days a week where I have childcare and can go and do work for a bit. So I have to be really careful with what I'm choosing and make sure it's something that I really want to do. I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned a, a few of the things that you've done uh, over your career. I, I obviously remember when you started it uh, on YouTube as a YouTuber. Do you ever look back to that very first video you posted on YouTube and think about the journey you've been on and what you've achieved? I have done it in the past, not for a very long time, because I feel like it can be quite kind of scary in a way just to think it's it's crazy kind of being online since I was kind of 21. It's been about 13 years now. Um, and I look back at that first video and I was just so kind of innocent and had no idea what was to come and it has been a really wild journey uh, and that journey uh, has taken you uh, on screen i mean just to list a couple of your uh, credits from your acting cv found footage horror followers uh, the sky tv i actually visited the set of this film sky tv's charles dickens reimagining twist uh yeah i did yeah i mean i got to be i mean i met michael kane i i don't did you share any scenes with uh, sir michael kane i didn't I did not meet Michael Caine. Um, my scenes were with David Walliams, which was which was really amazing. He's such a talented actor. Um, but and I had such a tiny part in that film, and it was such a huge production that no, I never even met Michael Caine. Um, I was kind of hanging out off offset with um, uh, Sophie, who plays Red. I think her character's name is it, and she was really really sweet and lovely, but. No, didn't didn't get to meet Michael Caine. Okay, I mean, I, I feel like I, I feel like I'm showing off now. Oh, yeah, by the way, I was on the set of that for one day, and I met Michael Caine. He's he, he's a lovely, what's, what's he's, a, he he's, nice? a, he's a lovely, lovely man. But it's it's, it's fine. You you can sneeze. Yeah, is, if, is this your way of going? I don't want to hear about Michael Caine. I didn't meet him. Move <laughs> on. <laughs> Enough of that. So uh, let's talk uh, about Venice at Dawn. It's a wonderfully absurd comedy farce. Um, So despite its title, it isn't set in Venice, which is my first shock uh, when I started watching it. Um, Tell us a little bit uh, about this film. 
So Venice at Dawn is a modern reimagining of a classic Ealing British comedy. Um, it's a real kind of farce. And with that kind of Ealing comedy theme, you have lots of kind of buffoonery and ridiculous situations that play out within the film. And I know you said you watched it last night. Um, so mm. it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a lot of fun. So I play Claudia, who is a young girl in her late 20s, who is kind of lost in life. And she's looking for love in her best friend, who really uses her. And you see from the beginning that Tom Basden's character, Stephen, is just a real arsehole. There's no other way to put it. Um, he <laughs> treats everybody badly in the film. And Claudia is just like this little puppy who's just, she just wants love. And for some reason, she thinks she's going to get it from Stephen. Uh, so her journey in the film is really kind of, it's a little bit of a, a coming of age for Claudia where she realises by the end that she just, she calls her mum and realises she's been chasing all the wrong things in life. And she probably just needs to go and spend some time working on herself. Um, but it, it, it's, an, it's a, a heist film about a piece of art it's called Venice at Dawn. So that's where the name comes from. Yeah, yeah just, uh, just to give people an idea of just what an arsehole uh, Tom Basden's character is, uh, he says at one point, uh, she asks if she can use my spatula, which I like, which is a brilliant line. <laughs> Yeah, and Claudia's just there cooking, cooking him dinner, doing everything for him, just hanging on to any thread that he dangles in front of her. Yeah. Um, so I did get, I will I will be completely transparent. I did get a fright when I watched the opening scene in which Claudia explains to the police what's happened the night before because there is such a, a, a deposit of information in that moment. I was like, am I getting so old that I cannot follow a film before I realised that that was the actual joke? Yes. So, oh my God, shooting those scenes was just, with all the detectives, was so hectic. I have loads of, in fact, maybe I'll post some on my Instagram of loads of behind the scenes where Jamie Adams, our director, he was just cracking up. He he couldn't even keep quiet laughing because these, I mean, Kellen Jones, the, the lead detective, he's such a talented actor and he's so funny. But yes, there's basically this, this, um, load of information that comes at you because none of it is supposed to really make sense the detectives can't make sense of it um <laughs> although they try their very best and then they're all kind of just throughout the film you cut back to them kind of acting it out and um there's so many parts of that that when i watched the film i thought i wish they'd left that scene in but there was loads of stuff which would probably be only be funny to people who have been on a set or worked in theatre and and um but yeah it, it went on for a long time that scene so and um, just like jamie adams uh two previous films uh he uses this uh improvised semi-improvised style on the set with his cast i'm imagining that's very different to anything you've done before how did you find it so I actually really love the kind of freedom of working with Jamie. I was daunted, I'm not going to lie. And I did a load of kind of classes before of just messing around with improv with other actors. Um, and that was really, really useful. And then when I got the opportunity to work with Jamie, because Jamie actually lives in Wales, so I didn't get to rehearse with him that much. And film in general, you don't get much rehearsal time at all. It's not like theatre where you have you know, anywhere between four and eight weeks rehearsal, you're kind of all thrown together last minute. We all went the night before we started shooting 
um, certain actors had been allowed to hang out that day, certain ones hadn't. And then we all went to the pub, um, uh, literally a pub nearby, and had dinner together and just chatted through how the next kind of couple of weeks was going to run. Um, and with Jamie, he did more, he wants to do less work on lines and more work on kind of character development with me. So we did lots of kind of, I ended up creating a playlist of um, music that Claudia would listen to and um, thinking about what she would eat for breakfast. And we came down to the fact that she, well, Jamie and I together came up with the idea that she would eat crunchy nut cornflakes. And her mum, she has this kind of really kind of imposing mother who uh would want her to be eating you know gluten-free granola and is always trying to keep her weight in check and make sure she's doing everything right and she just kind of rebels against it by you know sitting on the sofa in her pajamas at 6 p.m having cereal for dinner and eating crunchy nut cornflakes uh yeah um uh, obviously a bowl of pasta as well in, in what i think is one of the funniest scenes in the film uh yourself and kellen jones uh at, at dinner that's uh, is that one of your favorite scenes do you have a favorite scene because i really thought that scene between the two of you uh was just that's uh, it's one of the high points of the film oh thank you so much i i think that was one of my favorites to shoot although that spaghetti that i was eating was so revolting and i think it wasn't even heated because we didn't have anywhere to heat it. So it was, um, I think one of the runners had gone and got it from Sainsbury's and it was like this. So it wasn't from the restaurant that we're sat in. That was just kind of a location. And so I was sat there just eating this cold spaghetti, but the wine was actually real um, that they're pouring into the glasses. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. It was prob- probably like not totally not allowed on set, but there's, there's Jamie just being like, method, we will be drinking wine. Um, and yeah, working with Kellen Jones was just incredible. I felt like I learned so much from him and he gives so much back as an actor, especially when you, you're having to improv the odd line and things like that. It's um, It was really amazing to work with him. And yeah, it, it, it was a funny scene to shoot. So I'm glad that it comes across and it's funny to watch too. And so looking ahead to your acting, do you... Do you sit and think, oh, do you know what, who I'd like to work with in the future? I mean, do you have a, a wish list of of directors who you think, oh, it would be a dream to work with that person? That's an interesting question because I feel like when I first started out, I used to have all these kind of like big hopes and dreams. I was young and naive and just thought, you know, would const- if I did interviews about acting, I would have lists of directors and and um, that I wanted to work with. and now I just feel like realistically I don't know how many films I'm going to get the opportunity to do. For me it's more about um, looking at each script in a bespoke way so instead of having these kind of like big dreams that might not come true um, and don't get me wrong I think it's really good to dream big and all of that but I think my favorite part of filmmaking is doing those kind of indie films with the lesser known directors so a director that I'm really excited to work with next is called another Jamie she's called Jamie Patterson um, and we're hoping to shoot something together this year he's done some amazing films his film Tucked um, about a drag queen is on Netflix it's definitely um worth watching and i think the reason why i love indie filmmaking is because it takes such kind of commitment 
and devotion from a community of people who have to come together and really want to make something happen. And the budgets are low. So you're working with no money, which means long hours and everyone chipping in and doing a million different jobs, not just the job that you know you're there to do to act and um and I think there's some kind of magic in that and it feels I get this kind of exhilarating fulfilling feeling from working in that way and I think even though I've been lucky enough to be on bigger sets like Twist I think my favorite is working with indie directors uh, well, uh, you described it as, as, as magic. And what is magic now is that you, Tanya, are about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, Tanya. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? Okay, my uh, cinema date would have to be my boyfriend because we both love film um, and there's just no one better to go to the cinema with than your boyfriend. It's nice to have a date night or an an early evening date night. Um, so he's, he's my cinema pick. So you both love films, but do you both love the same kind of films? Is it always an easy decision or is someone like, I want horror, and the other's like, no, I want some drama, I want a bit of romance? So we are quite lucky that our kind of, um, the, the style of films that we're into is quite similar, I would say. They'll, they'll be the odd film that, so I don't love kind of heavy three hour long war films. He will watch those. So I will say that you can watch without me. In fact, this is an amazing tip for anyone out there who um, is, you know, has their other half liking slightly different things than sometimes. I tell him to keep a list on his phone of films to watch when I'm not there. So I'm like, add that to that list if I don't, if I don't want to watch that. And um, and like his favorite film of all time is Gladiator. And um, well, not, maybe not of all time. He'll be like, that's not my favorite film of all time. But um, but he 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 likes Gladiator. He'll often like hover over it when we're kind of looking through things on the TV. And I'll be like, I've I've never said yes to this. This is not my idea of what I want to watch. <laughs> Okay, okay. That's great that you have the same taste in films and you have the same kind of cinema habits. One doesn't like to talk during the movie, one does. It's it's like it's almost like a perfect harmony. Yeah. Yeah, it it does. It works really well. My favorite film that I saw with him recently was the newest Top Gun film. And um and we did we don't obviously talk throughout the film because that would be incredibly rude, but we do do the odd kind of like, "Oh my god, isn't this amazing?" Just just whisper and it's just I love experiencing that together the movie magic <laughs> wonderful well it's yourself and your boyfriend going to the cinema so there's a clock on the wall in the foyer you've already touched on this but what time of day do we go to the cinema so i would say that we would like to go late late afternoon or early evening because hmm. as mentioned before we like an early night we we even like early nights pre-baby so um we don't want to be falling asleep in the cinema. And the cinema is warm, it's cosy. We've got some amazing cinemas um, around us. And so those seats, they're particularly cosy and I can fall asleep 
very easily. So I need to make sure I'm not too tired. So I feel like early evening's perfect, but maybe at 5 p.m. Because then also you can go and grab dinner afterwards and discuss the film, which we love to do. We love to discuss at length. So about 5 p.m., is, is it normally busy at that time? That's not the time I tend to go to the cinema. Are you, are you in a busy auditorium? Is it is it quiet? And do you like that communal atmosphere that comes from a busy cinema auditorium, the shared experience with a crowd of people? Yes, I think it's really special. Even being in the cinema last night, uh, well, it wasn't really a cinema, it was, it was a screening in the Ham Yard Hotel. Hmm. Um, I actually, that's kind of my favourite way to watch films. It's being in a room of people but it's not huge. So so still a decent sized screen, maybe, I don't know, like 100 people in the room. It's it's nice to have that shared experience. No, I love it. We're putting a figure on that. We're saying one, 100 people are allowed in the room with you. That's, that's, a, that's a good figure. I like that. I like the fact we've got a definite numerical value. And so you have booked the tickets for our cinema trip. Where in the auditorium are we going to be sitting? Okay, this is a quite a contentious point because um, I have never had any preference over where I sit in the cinema. Never thought that that was a thing. I would just sit down. If anything, I like to be on the edge so that if I need to run out to use the bathroom, I can. Um, and and I would happily sit at the front, the back, the middle, kind of wherever. And um and I booked to go and see the latest Bond film uh, for my boyfriend and I. And we hadn't been to the cinema together loads because we were, it was a pandemic a lot of the time when we were first together. Um, and so I hadn't had, we hadn't spoken, we hadn't asked each other all these questions that you're asking me now, which I actually feel like would be a good relationship tip. Maybe get all of this out in the open before you book tickets because I booked the smallest screen in the Everyman Cinema, which I don't think I did on purpose, to be honest. But so we're going to see the new Bond film. He's been talking about it for, I mean, even when we first met, I remember him talking to me about it because he'd already been working on it because he works in CGI. Um, so he was excited to kind of see everything on the big screen and really kind of l look at everything, including some of his own work. And I, we, we arrived into the cinema and we kind of walked through and I thought, I've never been taken to this screen before um, in this everyman. And, um, and we walk in and there's two rows and the smallest screen you've ever seen in the cinema. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, um, and, he, and he just said to me, he was like, I wanted to see this kind of like an IMAX, like a, like a big screen. It's, it's Bond. It's something that he's been, you know, waiting to watch for years. So, so yeah, we've spoken about it since. And apparently the best place to sit in the cinema is um, in the middle to back section in the middle. That's the best viewing option middle to back section i that's i can't believe that story I, I mean it's it's funny enough that he loves bond and had been waiting that long but to have actually worked on the film and to see the visual effects in the film that he, i know he'd done he'd made <laughs> <laughs> i know he was a very good wow. sport and sat and watched the whole film with me because part of me was thinking do we do we go do we watch it in this tiny screening um but it it was fine, and I think it's it's still a big screen, um, but not not what it should be. Sure, 
<laughs> so are you sitting in the in the middle to back section but in the middle and you're fine with sitting in the middle because uh if if if, if he said this is the best place to sit and you're, you're happy with that you don't miss sitting on the aisle because i have to sit on the aisle it's just me i'm funny about Do that you? i need to be yeah. able to escape you're See, cool sometimes i will um even if i'm like nearer nearer to the to the aisle so you don't have to disturb too many people if you have to go um it's not that I have the weakest bladder in the world or anything. I think it's more of just kind of a mindset thing. I think, oh my God, am I trapped? Um, sat in the middle. So yeah, I would prefer yep. to be weirdly more over to the right. Maybe that's because the exit's usually that way. I don't know. Okay, good. I'm, I, I like that. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly that's exactly my mindset. I don't like to be trapped. And you, you're probably right. I've always thought yeah. it was just purely based on the physiology of my body and my bladder size. But I think possibly it is a psychological thing of going, the less people I have to disturb, the better. I might try that. I might try your theory of just a few seats in. So, the air in the foyer. It's full of wonderful smells. All manner of foodstuffs are available at the various counters. What are you choosing to eat? Okay, so this depends if uh, on on the time of day. So if we do, if we've just had a big lunch, for example, then I'll just go for popcorn. But if we're going to that five pm viewing where it's kind of getting close towards dinner time, if we don't have a dinner reservation afterwards, then we might go all out. So do things like pizzas and um, little like chorizo bites and guacamole and chips and stuff like that. So we will just order pretty much everything on the menu and share everything. Um, they also do warm cookies and ice cream, which is just next level. I know co- cookies and ice cream. It's pretty good. <laughs> this is why would you why would you ever make a dinner reservation when you're having chorizo bites, pizza and warm cookies on ice cream? That that <laughs> well, sounds like dinner to me. That sounds like that's a meal. That's an actual meal. Yeah, yeah that would be, you know, our going all out at the cinema no need for dinner afterwards you can just come home sit on the sofa and discuss the movie and, and do, do, do they do they supply knives and forks is there cutlery i mean do you put it on your knee is there a table are you <laughs> sitting at a dinner table watching the movie no so it's kind of it's have you ever been to an, to an everyone there's there's little they're like little armchairs or sometimes you can get a two-seater sofa which is amazing because then you can like lean on each other and stuff um but no, it's, it's very much on your knee kind of food. So it's all finger food. It's like the pizza's already sliced. There's no need for knives and forks. Okay. Okay, good. 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 And and just to, just to, just to put my mind at ease, this, the, chorizo has a very distinctive smell. Pizza, you can smell a pizza a, a mile away, which is what makes pizza so addictive. Mm-hmm. If there's 100 people in this 5 p.m. screening all with a pizza, is it is it not overpowering? <laughs> or Do you not feel like I'm watching a movie in a pizzeria? Do you know what? I've never ever thought about it as an so it can't be an issue because I've never they must have really good kind of like some kind of air system that pulls out the pizza smells and just le- just leaves it with normal cinema smell. Okay, I I, I love uh, your selection of food. Uh, to talk about popcorn though, sweet or salted? I like to do a mix. So I I'm a real kind of salt addict but also a sugar addict. So mix them together and that's just heaven to me. 
You're making my mouth water now and it's like breakfast time. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Mixed is uh, statistically the most popular selection uh, we have on the show. People seem to love Mixed. And ha- have you ever uh, done that uh, kind of bespoke popcorn? People have uh, uh, have introduced me to this idea of chucking minstrels uh, or, or chucking M&Ms into warm popcorn no. so they melt. No, no, no. Can't do that. I can't mix the texture of like this airy light popcorn texture with something kind of crunchy and more firm, like an M&M. I just, give me M&Ms for sure, but separately to my popcorn. So we have everything we need for our journey into the auditorium. It's time to leave the foyer and walk down the corridor towards that auditorium. I'm going to put up posters along the cinema wall that illustrate some of your most important movie memories. The first poster depicts your fondest movie memory. What is it? So this was, I'm pretty sure, unless I was so young that I can't remember if I saw something before this, but it's so vivid in my mind, even just walking into my seat, that I'm pretty sure this is the first film I ever saw in a cinema. And it was a Vita um, with Antonio Banderas and Madonna, and I saw it at seven years old. And it's quite a heavy story for a seven-year-old. I mean, it's, you know, she's... terminally ill uh she dies um it's it's a love story it's uh it it was it's a pretty heavy story to watch the seven-year-old and you know what i haven't watched in so many years i couldn't even tell you that much more than that what is that's kind of all i can remember from it um but sitting there just kind of the magnitude of seeing something on such a big scale and and hearing the score and uh people singing and the performances and there was something about it that just felt like complete magic to me and made me fall in love with cinema i i i've i've complete transparency never seen evita i obviously am aware of the don't cry for me i won't try yeah but the, the big number uh yeah <laughs> in that so do you think it was, as, as a seven-year-old, do you remember enjoying the film or more enjoying the experience of being in a cinema for the first time? So I remember really enjoying the film and I definitely re-watched it afterwards multiple times as a child. I just don't think I've probably watched it since I was about 10, but I can be quite obsessive about things. And if I like something, I will watch it over and over and over again. So I definitely enjoyed the film because... I remember then getting a VHS tape and watching it on VHS lots. And my sister's two years, years younger than me and she just was not interested. She was like, where's the little mermaid gone? Like, stop putting a Vita on. Um, but my mum and I really, really loved it. I went with my mum. I can't remember if my dad came too or perhaps I went with my mum and my grandma, her mum. But yeah, I, I don't remember that much more about the cinema than just walking in and sitting on the seat. I remember it was a flip down seat that I sat on. And I remember thinking it's very dark in here. I was scared of the dark when I was younger. Um, but the film I really enjoyed and also had a huge crush on Antonio Banderas. Okay, because I was going to ask, I was thinking, okay, seven years old, Evita, was it because uh, your mum was like, she loves Madonna? Um, let's go, let's go, because you were, a, were you a Madonna fan? Was that the attraction? No. So I don't think I even knew who Madonna was, um, to be honest. Okay. And I don't think my mum's a huge Madonna fan, but 
uh, I don't want to kind of call my mum out here, but she definitely did introduce me to some films when I was younger and books. We're both really into reading, my mum and I, um, that probably weren't suitable. Uh, I, one, another of my favourite films growing up was The Piano. Uh, do you know that film? Wow. Has, um, yes, yeah, yeah, of course, it, yeah. It's very heavy and... I, again, I hadn't watched that for probably 20 years. And the other day I said to my boyfriend, should, should we watch The Piano? Because that was one of my favourite films growing up. And I've always, I play piano as well. And I've always played the Michael Nyman um, uh, piece of music on, on the piano and for, for years since watching that film. And we rewatched it. And about halfway through, we both just looked at each other and said, should we just call it a day with this film it's just too much it was just we weren't in the mood for it. it's so heavy it's like there's this really abusive um partner that she's been kind of forced to marry and then i mean i'm going through a spoiler here but he chops her finger off so she can't even play piano anymore it's really sad and really heavy but luckily i don't remember any of that stuff so clearly watching it when i was younger that all went over my head i just thought beautiful piano music i want to learn that and beautiful kind of like <laughs> landscapes on 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 the you know it's in in the forest and on the on the beach and um yeah so I think I just enjoyed the cinematography and the, and the music and clearly fingers getting chopped off just went straight over my head luckily thank God uh, I love that I love you saying to uh, your boyfriend let's watch the piano it's a beautiful film it's a, it's it's just it's <laughs> it's about learning the piano it made me learn the piano it's just a, it's all yeah. about the piano music and then. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that took a sharp left. Uh, all right, uh, let's let's put a poster up though uh, for Evita as your fondest movie memory. The second poster as we continue down the corridor that I'm putting up depicts your worst movie memory. What is it? Worst movie memory in general. Any time I've watched a horror film, but one in particular was it, and I'm not talking the lovely kind of remake of it which actually isn't that scary and is a really good film um this is the i don't even know when it was made the stephen king one have you watched it the original i i, I can help you with the date here because uh this is that this is my scariest movie of all time 1990 tim curry playing pennywise the clown yeah yeah oh god oh my goodness so I was one when that film came out. I didn't watch it aged one, thank God. Um, my parents are not into horror films, but one of my oldest and bestest friends, who's still my best friend now, despite the fact that she is the only person who's ever introduced me to horror, um, my friend Emma, I'm going to name and shame her. She So her dad was into horror films. And I think she had older sisters who were into horror films. So I would go to her house and I would have this kind of feeling that, I really wanted to watch horror films. I wanted to be that cool kid who could watch the scary films. And then I would just be walking home from her house and thinking, I'm not going to sleep tonight. And it it happened It happened with that film for me. I didn't sleep for about a year after watching that film. And, and then a few years later, she had me watching The Ring. And again, then lost sleep for, for about a year. Oh my God! It's that first moment where yeah, they all float down here, Georgie. Do you want a balloon? When he's in the drain. And- oh my God! And there's drains. So so we lived in a tiny village growing up, me and Emma, and we lived probably the walk between our houses was probably about four hundred yards, 
and <laughs> there were so many drains on that walk home. And I remember saying, well, you've made me watch this film. So now you have to walk me home. Um, and it was dark. And then she was saying, but then who's going to walk me home? So I have to walk back. <laughs> and also the funny thing is she's actually two, two, two years younger than me as well, <laughs> which is quite a big gap when you're kind of that age of like eight and 10. Um, so yeah, that's my worst, worst movie memory. Oh yeah, uh, that's uh, it's it's uh, weirdly watching that movie is, is the most scared I've been. There was just, just so many weird moments in it, like the bit where he, it's the clown with the really long neck, and then there's the Rottweiler's head at the top, and it kills the security guard, and then there's uh, when the guy gets sucked into the pipe and his body bends backwards, and it's like oh, it's it's dark. Do, have you? Can I just ask you quickly? Have you rewatched it as an adult? I have. I have. I think perhaps I need to do that. I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but maybe I need to do that because maybe it will be less scary now that I'm not like 10 years old. It's slightly less scary. I mean, the spider at the end is still a bit rubbish, but Tim Curry's performance as that clown, it's where he breaks the, for me, it's where he breaks the rules of uh, like uh, uh, physics, where you think you're in a shower and you're safe. Like the kid thinks he's safe in the shower because Pennywise is down the plug hole. Then he just pushes the shower aside so he can climb out of the plug hole it's it's honestly there's some stuff oh in there God. that isn't nightmarish um you've just reminded me of that scene that i haven't thought about in about 20 years and now i wonder if i'll be able to have a shower later because on honestly that was the reason why you've just reminded me i could not shower alone for so long after watching that and we had a shower curtain at, at, when I was growing up as well. So it's like, you don't know what's on the other side. And I was constantly looking down the plug hole. And even now, I sometimes, if I've watched something slightly scary by accident, I try not to watch anything scary these days. I still don't like to close my eyes in the shower and just be completely, you know, vulnerable for a second there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I had I had the same thing after watching Jaws. I couldn't have bubbles in the bath because I needed to see the bottom in case a trap door opened and a shark came up. Aww. So it's it's along the same lines. Uh, but it's it a poster for it the original it is what I'm putting up continuing down the corridor. I'm putting up our third poster, which depicts the last performance that brought you Tanya to tears. So that's an easy one because it was last night and. I can't remember. Um, oh, actually, that's a lie. I cried the night before that watching a film too. But um, but last night I cried watching A Good Person and it was proper tears. Well, you know, it's almost kind of satisfying because they were just kind of rolling down my cheeks. I actually could taste my own tears. They were really salty. Um, and I didn't even have salty popcorn last night. Uh, but... Uh, it was just, it, it's a, it's a film about addiction and grief and, um, two kind of unlikely characters being brought together because of those things. And, uh, Florence Pugh plays this young middle-class woman who ends up having an addiction to prescription pills. Um, it's, I don't want to give too many spoilers. It's a really new film. So there might be a lot of people listening who mm. want to watch it. But basically, the way it made me feel, it, it was just so powerful. Her performance was incredible. I love Zach Braff. I think he's amazing. And he uh, directed, wrote, and produced it. 
And um, I think it was really interesting having him direct Florence Pugh because obviously they were in a relationship for about three years, I think. And I think the fact that he clearly knew her so well, I actually just think it made his directing amazing. I feel like that kind of thing could go either way. Um, For this film, I feel like it really aided the film because you could see that she felt completely free to do the most powerful and moving performance. So uh, was it, I, I, if it's a spoiler, you don't have to tell me, but were they happy tears? Is it like, that's a beautiful moment, oh, joy, or was it like, oh, my God, that's broken me because it's so upsetting? So there were multiple times that I actually cried during this film, which is one of my favourites. So it's not just like this big cry at the end. I like it when there's parts within a film that move me kind of throughout. And... Uh, some parts were happy parts, some parts were sad parts of of, of tears. One of my favourite moments that made me cry, and this is not a major spoiler, so I'll just tell you a nice quote from the film, is um, when Morgan Freeman uh, says to Florence Pugh's character, um, he asks her if she'd like a hug, and uh, she says no because she'll she'll completely lose it and she's already feeling tearful. And then he looks at her and says, I'm hugging you with my eyes right now. And I just, I lost it then. I just thought that's just such a lovely sentiment. And um, and it just was like, felt like such a special moment in the film. I, I, and just because I'm, I'm, now, I'm now intrigued that that's two days in a row you've cried at a movie. What was the one the day before? Now I'm like, I wish I hadn't said that because I don't even want to tell you what it was. But basically, <laughs> it was um, so... My boyfriend and I are doing this thing at the moment where, where we're re-watching, I think because we've just had a son and he's too young to be watching films and appreciating them. But because we've got him now, we are being reminded of all of those classics that we watched growing up. So, so the 1950s Cinderella, the uh, Beauty and the Beast, the, the original one. And so we're kind of going through and watching some of those. And we watched The Little Mermaid, which was one of my favourites, mine and my sister's favourites when we were little. And we rewatched that. And neither of us had watched it since we were kind of under the age of 10, probably. And at the end of that, I cried, <laughs> which is so embarrassing. <laughs> but um, it, it was the moment where her dad lets her go and, get, and, and, you know, they put the spell on her to give her legs so she's not a mermaid anymore and she can go and be with Eric and... Um, it was just that that moment. It's always father daughter moments just get me more than anything else. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I think if you if look if you if you're not crying at a Disney animated movie, then perhaps you're dead inside. I think I, I think it's it's almost built into the DNA of those films that you have to cry. So our final poster that we're putting up. In this corridor, before we enter the auditorium, depicts your unpopular movie opinion. Okay, so my unpopular movie opinion, I would say, so so this is something that the when I mention I like it, the lots of people, you know, say no, they don't like it. Um, the Polar Express, yeah. So so the Polar Express is my unpopular movie opinion. In the sense that you do not like it. I like it. Oh, you like it? Yes. See, it's unpopular. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Now, 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 now I understand. I thought you were going with unpopular. I'm like, yeah, well, maybe a lot of people do like it. Uh, and, and you were, you were going to say you don't like it, but you do like dead eyed, scary ass Tom Hanks. <laughs> 
Yeah, I like the Polar Express. I love the song in it, you know, the hot chocolate song. Um, I think it's cozy. I think there's something about it being on a train reminds me of the Hogwarts Express. I just find it a nice, cozy Christmas film. It's not my favourite, but it's one that I definitely watch every single year. And it's one that I have to watch alone because nobody I know wants to watch the Polar Express. Everybody hates it. Everyone says that the children look scary and and have that kind of like like say dead eyed look. Yeah, yeah. And you 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 don't see that. You you see past those cold, lifeless eyes of killers. I do, and I see it's oh, than that sort. There's the song in it with the little boy when he's you know standing at the end of the train. I can't remember the the lyrics right now, and also I won't sing it. But it's I think there's loads of cute moments in, in the Polar Express. I, I really like it when he shakes the bauble and it means he believes in Christmas because the, the sleigh bells. Okay, I mean, because I, I will say that there's there's no shortage of, of Christmas movies uh, out there, but is this a regular a routine in your life? Like every Christmas, you bang on the Polar Express? Every Christmas, I will watch it. But I don't think there's enough good Christmas films. And I actually almost had a Christmas film in the works um, last year. But then I had a baby and it didn't happen. Um, but they actually still haven't, the producers still haven't actually got the film kind of green lit. So there's a possibility that I might get to be in a Christmas film in the next couple of years, which would be very exciting uh, because I love Christmas. It's just my, my favourite time of year. And other than summer, I do love summer too. But um, there aren't enough good Christmas films. Do you think there's not enough good Christmas films? I mean, like, let's let's just quickly spitball it. Uh, Elf, Elf, Elf's a great Christmas movie. It's great. There are. I mean, I have a list. If if you want me to go through them, um, I actually have a list uh, on your phone. You actually do keep yeah. lists of movies on your phone. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always have my. I have a list that I've had for years on my phone, just so that I never forget. Kind of. Um, if if I want to rewatch something, one of my favourites, I actually have it in categorised. <laughs> so I, I have drama films, I have period films, I have romance, I have fun, lighthearted because it's just good to have this list. So that if you, if you, you know, if I'm ill in bed on my own, for example, I want a fun, lighthearted something to watch. So so things on that list are things like Chicken Run or Mean Girls. Uh, anyway, my yep. Christmas list. Um, we've got Klaus after Christmas. Family Stone, Elf, Love Actually, The Holiday, Serendipity, The Grinch, Polar Express is on here, um, Home Alone, <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street, and Harry Potter 1, 3, and 4, because I found those ones all have Christmas scenes in, so I will always watch them at Christmas. That's my list. So I think it's not extensive. No, it's not. Those are, I, I think those are, those are all good films, although I, I'd argue there possibly is another unpopular opinion hidden away in that list you just revealed, that uh, you also consider Love Actually a, a great movie and a good Christmas film. Are you not a fan of Love Actually? I'd argue that I'm not alone, which is why it's unpopular. A lot of people don't like Love Actually. I don't know if you've heard this. I hate to be the first to tell you. I think you're one of the first people to tell me that. I love Love Actually. It's not my top, top, top. Um, Main reason being, I hate the scene with, what's the actress called? Who's actually an amazing actress. Is it Laura Linney? She's also in Ozark. And she's incredible. But you know her kind of storyline with the the guy that she's kind of wants to sleep with. 
I just find that whole storyline such a turn off and it just does not get me in the Christmas mood. I find her character quite irritating. Um, so that's the reason why Love Actually wouldn't be at the top for me. But for many other reasons, I do absolutely adore it. Um, and my top top is The Holiday. Uh, well, this is the, I fear we've got a lot to unpack here. So I understand the Laura Linney storyline. I don't, I, I don't like her arc. I, I don't think it's, it's it's a very nice arc for her character. Uh, but no. I, you're, you're you're totally cool with um, with Andrew Lincoln turning up at his best friend's wife's door with a series of signs. That's that's not an issue for you. I love that bit. I really, really love it. And also, um, my boyfriend and I, we quote all the time, like honestly, all the time, the Kira Knightley bit when she, when she says, I look quite pretty. And, um, and we say it around the house all the time. Like if one of us has just got ready to go out or, or something, we'll, we'll just we'll look in the room and be like, I look quite pretty. And um, I just, I love it. I think it, it has got its flaws, but it's just a, it's a go-to for me. Uh, okay. I, I mean, I almost want to get into the holiday. I feel maybe, Tanya, you're going to have to come back at some point and we can do a Christmas uh, special. I would love to do a Christmas special. Yeah. Good, good. Right. Well, we'll talk about that later because uh, right now I'm putting up a poster for not love actually, but the Polar Express uh, because you love it. Uh, that's it. We're leaving the corridor now. We're entering the auditorium. So there is a queue of people. It's exactly 98 people who are going to join you and your boyfriend, which makes a lovely 100 people in the auditorium, which I know you like. Are you letting them in? Yeah, I'm letting them in. Well, the crowd goes wild. They're pouring into the auditorium. So before the movie that you've chosen for us begins tonight, there's a few things we're going to do. And the first thing we're going to play on the screen is the trailer for the movie you're most looking forward to. What movie are you most looking forward to? Ooh, um, movie I'm most looking forward to. Do you know what? I've heard mixed things about this film, but I'm really looking forward to seeing Barbie with Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig um, directing. I think I think it has the potential to be really good. And, and even if it's not, I'm intrigued and I want to see it. So that's something that I really, really do want to see. And then also the newest Indiana Jones with Harrison Ford um, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I mean, what an addition to that movie franchise. I, I really, really want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, anything's got to be a step up from the Crystal Skull. Indiana Jones, is it the Dial of Destiny? Yeah, the Dial of Destiny is the new one. Uh, okay. I mean, we can only play one. I'm guessing Barbie is the one. Were you, were you a Barbie fan as a kid? Because I, I can't help but feel with Greta Gerwig. I mean, Greta Gerwig, she's going to be doing something subversive with it, right? It's it's not going to be like your average Barbie movie. Yeah, exactly. So I'm definitely intrigued to see that. I loved Lady Bird. I also loved um, Little Women. So I've, I'm, I'm excited to see Barbie for sure. Okay. And uh, one thing, I, I have friends, I have friends, that's not a stand statement. I, I have friends. I had friends <laughs> who, uh, when I was a kid, played with Barbie. I always remember Ken having brown hair. And the, I remember there being a little ripple of uh, uh, controversy when that first Ryan Gosling still came up and Ken was blonde. Now, I, maybe I've got it wrong, but wasn't Ken a brunette? Do you know what? I was not into Barbie's growing up I don't know why I just I was not I wasn't hugely into playing you know make-believe with like little toys when I was younger I had a neighbor 
I hope he's not listening to this, but we're, we're not in touch anymore. Um, but a neighbour who lived on my street two doors down, she was obsessed with Barbies, Sylvanians, cupcake dolls, like all this stuff. I would always want to like play with them with me. And whenever I go to her house, I'd just be like, oh, mom, I, I don't want to go there because she's going to make me play with all the dolls. And I was obsessed with playing, I think universally, this is called Mums and Dads, where it's real, you're getting to a character yourself um, and you just go around the house acting out scenarios as like, there'll be someone who's the mum, someone who's the dad, and then someone plays, my sister would always play the dog and her best friend Jennifer at the time, would they would be my dogs. Um, I'd always be the mum. And my mum used to child mind growing up. So um, there'd always be, lots of different children in and out of the house that I would kind of give roles to. And I wasn't, I wasn't interested in Barbies. I, I used to just like to play characters myself and like everyone around me to be playing different characters. So, so basically, uh, once you've been acting for a bit, we can see you in the director's chair in the future, casting various roles. Yeah. I, oh, I'm so interested in casting. Like if, if one day I decide just to completely pull myself away from all things in the public, I was both Instagram acting, all of that stuff. I would love to go behind the scenes and be a casting director. That's my dream. Wow. Wow. Okay. Right. Well, Barbie is uh, not even My Little Pony. You didn't even like My Little Pony? Oh, do you know what? I had a couple of ponies, but more to cuddle. So, yeah, whereas I, I feel like, no, I wasn't into Barbie. I did have a pony. I had a yellow one. Maybe that was my sister's. I don't know. Um, I did like the My Little Pony, so I did like those. Okay. Okay. Well, Barbie is the trailer we are playing. So next, we're going to play your favourite shot or sequence from a movie. What is it? Oh, um, I think it's so hard to choose one. I mean, I'd love to know what yours is. Um, but I, I think it would be any kind of... I love the romance scenes between Patricia Arquette's character, Alabama, and Christian Slater's character, uh, what's his name Clarence in true romance I love those romance scenes because they feel so kind of intense and it's this kind of love like no other and they'll do anything for each other they'll literally kill for each other and I I think with with the Hans Zimmer score and that there's so much darkness in that film with what happens in it but then with that kind of light um hands in a school with the it goes something like that um and and i think it just it that's some real kind of brilliant filmmaking and um and so i i think any scene between them in that film is is a favorite of mine it's one of my all-time favorite films yeah, uh, that score. I think is it, it's a xylophone. I think it's it's played on. I might be wrong, but it's such it's such an iconic score. It's so brilliant, and um, and I love I love the bit where she's laying on the beach and her son's like running around in the sand and uh, with with that music playing and her doing. I I love that music with a voiceover from her. I think it's so brilliant. Shall I, shall we play that? Let's play that scene then. If that's uh, you just mentioned it, so let's play the the beach scene. I at near. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but let's say the beach scene. Mm. We'll just say the beach scene uh, from True yeah. Romance. Right? Are you ready? So you very kindly printed out T-shirts as a gift for our audience. Thank you very much, Tanya. It's got your favorite movie quote on the front. What is your favorite movie quote? 
I didn't know I was printing them onto T-shirts because now I feel like I might have chosen a different quote. But I, I'm going to stick with my guns and go with my favourite movie quote. Um, it's from Robin Williams in Good Will Hunting where he plays Dr. Sean. And now I can't even remember what Matt Damon's character is called in it. Can you remember? Um Will, obviously. Um, so, yeah, so Dr. Sean is telling Will it's not his fault. And he just says over and over, it's not your fault. And that scene, I think, is one of the most wonderful scenes I've ever seen in a film ever. Um, it's so kind of powerful in a kind of a quiet way in which they're just kind of both discovering and sharing things about each other. And um, and Robin Williams, I, I love his kind of dedication to making sure that Will really knows that it wasn't his fault. And, and Will saying, yeah, I know, I know. And he's like, no, he repeats the line over and over and over again. And I think that um, that's a really special um, scene in a film and one of my all-time favourites. It's incredible, isn't it? I once had the pleasure of interviewing Matt Damon and uh, about working with Robin Williams, and and you could see this was after Robin Williams had passed, and he was, uh, you know, visibly choked up remembering filming that particular scene uh, with Robin oh. Williams. Oh, what an amazing experience to interview him about that! It's a it's a, it's a wonderful scene, and um, uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a great quote. So we're printing. Just to clarify, it's not your fault. I like that. I think that works on a T-shirt. Brilliant. Right, then the final thing we're going to do before we play the movie that you've picked for us is play your favourite song or score from a film. So I love film scores. It's one of the main things that I listen to on Spotify. So it's really, again, so hard to choose one. And also because I'm really into classical music and I play piano. So it's it's always something that I'm listening to. But I think if I had to choose one pianist who does a lot of movie scores, it would be Ludovico Einaudi. Um, and specifically his score for Nomadland. Um, which I think is called something like Seven Days Walking. I've I've got the the book of the score and um it's so beautiful and that film as well is just I would say I feel like with the same with with books I feel like there are certain books that I would describe as quiet books they're books that then they're not loud with a lot of plot they give you a lot of kind of quiet time to be reflecting and thinking and I think there's the same with with film and I I think Nomadland is what I would describe as a quiet film um, with, you know, so, so much. Did, did you love that film? Um, I, 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 I didn't love it, uh, to be perfectly honest. I found it quite, uh, I mean, to be absolutely clear, it's, it's not the kind of film that I would seek out in the first place. I watched it because obviously it was nominated for so many Oscars and so as part of uh, my job, I, I, I watched it. I, I just found the sort of semi-documentary style quite difficult to get to grips with the idea of um, Francis McDormand um, acting with real life uh, people who've chosen this lifestyle, real life nomads. And it just, 
it felt like it felt like she was a documentarian almost interviewing them as much as she was an actor playing a role in a film and so i was taken out of the movie a little bit because of that but that's interesting that's my and did you i think um what's interesting there is that you seem to have you had that information before watching right that that you, you knew that they were real life nomads um and i wonder if that affected your um, viewing of it because I can imagine that being quite jarring if you then feel like oh it's Frances McDormand she's like a big famous actor with these nomads and is is that is that strange um, I had no idea until afterwards and I was thinking I actually googled, googled it I think because I, I, I googled about the casting <laughs> so I, I do have an interest in casting because I thought that those people were all cast so well I thought oh my god who's cast this because they were all amazing they were so believable and then I was like oh my god they're, they're, they're real life people who are living this um way and so for me it kind of I really enjoyed that um element of the of the film but I think it was good that I didn't know about it beforehand um but that oh the, the scene in that with the with the old guy where he he he's reading the the Shakespeare sonnet and um and the beautiful um cinematography of the the landscapes was just the I and Audi score I just I just find the a movie that's about so much kind of hardship and heartache just has this kind of like serene um quality that is I really loved I think you. I think you make a really valid point there. It's it's something that's uh, been discussed before. The idea of knowing less about the movie, as little about a film as possible, really, before you go and see it, leads to a, a, a much better viewing experience than finding out too much, watching too many trailers, knowing, waiting for certain scenes to come up. So I think that's fair. Mm, I, I have a trailer rule. If if you're interested, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're you're much bigger in the film world than me anyway so you, you you probably have your own way of how you do trailers but my kind of way with trailers is I will only ever watch about 20 seconds 30 seconds max of a trailer because I can tell so so for example when I got invited to the screening of a good person I was excited to see it because um I want to see Zach Braff's next film that he's kind of written directed and produced um and also love Florence Pugh um but I thought I'll watch the trailer and just check that it's to be honest check that it's not a horror or something um so it's kind of a self-protection thing <laughs> and I watched <laughs> I'll watch 20 seconds of a trailer and I can tell uh, that whether I'm going to like something or not or be into it and I don't want to watch any more than that because I think you're right it's better to go into a film not knowing too much and I think that's probably the way that they're designed to be watched too. And so I don't read reviews before before watching and I don't watch a two and a half minute long trailer. I think that's far too long. It's a good rule. It's a good rule. Unfortunately, a bit like you say, because of my job, I, I have to sort of watch these trailers, but you're absolutely right. You know, you do. And the directors of films rarely have any control over the trailers. There's been a couple of instances where directors have said, that's not the trailer I would have released because it's a entirely different part of the, the machine that makes the trailers. But, um, but either way, we're playing the score for Nomadland, and here it is. It is time, Tanya, to announce to our excited, exactly 100-strong audience in this auditorium, the movie of all others you have picked to screen for us tonight. What film are we watching? Wow. 
we are watching Titanic. How do you feel about that? You know, <laughs> uh, you've gone big. You've gone big. That's a that's a huge movie. Tell me why. So why Titanic? It's been an all time favorite film of mine for ever since it came out. Um, I haven't ever seen Titanic in the cinema. So for me, I want to show Titanic so that I get the chance to watch it on the big screen because I feel like it's one of those films that, I mean, I think it's incredible on the TV screen at home, but um, I'm sure it would be just amazing to watch it on the big screen. And it's it's just such a brilliant film. It's so the tension in it and young Leo and Kate, it's it's so magical. Tell me, tell me uh, that first time you watched Titanic, what was it that gripped you though? Because as a bit of an action junkie, obviously I was waiting for the action to kick in, but what was it that really appealed to you when you first saw it? So I'm not an action kind of girl in general. I'm much more of a kind of drama um, with this romance in there. So I think for me, I wasn't expecting the action. I, I did really enjoy the tension. I love tension in, in a movie and I I love the, the, obviously the, the romance part of it, but then that kind of, you're worried the whole time and you're kind of sat on the edge of your seat thinking, are they going to get off this boat? Will they survive? And the water rising and her trying to kind of um, uh, use the axe to, to get rid of the handcuffs when his hands around the thing. I feel like I can do Titanic spoilers because everyone's seen Titanic, but I just, I just think it's a brilliant film. I enjoy every single scene from start to finish. I just love it. Love the journey that it takes you on. And um, it's 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 the age old question. Enough jokes, memes, uh, comedy routines have been based around this. It does not bother you that there is room on that plank of wood for two people at the end. You are just like I'm sold on this movie by that point. I'm already sold, and I do think that I have. I don't know if this is a good or a bad quality, but I do have this thing where if I've decided I'm going to love something and I love everything else about it, if it has one flaw. I will just overlook. I will just overlook that one thing because I don't want it to spoil it for me. So I think there must have been some reason why he couldn't get on the door. It's a door there on, isn't it? It is. It is, yeah. So there's just some reason. Yeah, it would t- it would tip it off balance and something. Maybe one side mm. of the wood was weaker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have seen a lot about that on Instagram <laughs> recently. But I just choose to ignore and still love Titanic with all my heart. All right. Well, Titanic is the movie you are screening for our audience. Ah, brilliant stuff. And now, just before we go, as the curtains close and the guests are milling out, smiling, thanking you for taking them on this wonderful night out of the movies, it's time for this week's mystery question as we ask... What's in the box? Saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Got a box. Got a mystery question. Okay. Okay. This is my first time seeing it as well. So as a hugely successful influencer, do you have one, 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 specifically one piece of advice you would give to someone hoping to follow in your footsteps? Oh, goodness. This is, uh, do you know what? This is always such a tough question when people ask me this, even if it's kind of in an interview or in the street, uh, because... 
when I started out, and and you'll remember, influencers, they weren't a thing, were they? No one had even, it, that wasn't even a term that people people used. So I did kind of, it was kind of a right place, right time, luck situation. I'd say for, for a big part of how I got started. Um, however, then I... I'm not afraid to say that it has been years of kind of dedication and hard work on top of that. But I think in terms of nowadays, I feel like you could be dedicated and work hard and not get anywhere. So I do think that I was lucky with the the right place, right time scenario. And then just having to work hard and have dedication on top of that. And I would say it depends on what kind of influence they want to be, whether it's about fashion or beauty or film or books or a mixture of everything, I would say consistently post, be yourself and don't look at the numbers because the algorithm is killer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. Don't look at the numbers. It's like, it's, it's, it's like going back here. It's going back to uh, it, uh, the movie we were talking about. It's like, don't look in the deadlights. Never look in the deadlights. Tanya, that's it. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But before you leave, let's recap your perfect night out at the cinema. You are going with your boyfriend at 5 p.m. with 98 other people, making it around 100 people in the auditorium. You are going to be sitting in the middle at the back in the middle of a row. You are going to be eating, wow, chorizo bites, pizza, <laughs> and warm cookies and ice cream with some yeah. mixed popcorn with nothing chucked in because you're a purist. We're putting up a poster for Evita as your fondest movie memory, your worst movie memory. It, because they all float down here. The last Stop performance it. that brought you to tears. <laughs> Quiz <laughs> from Zach Braff's new upcoming movie, A Good Person. Your unpopular movie opinion, among others, is that The Polar Express is a good film. <laughs> We're playing the trailer for Barbie. We are then going to be playing the beach sequence from True Romance as your favourite scene in a movie. We are printing the quote, It's Not Your Fault, from Goodwill Hunting repeatedly on a T-shirt. We're listening to the score from Nomadland before watching Titanic. Titanic. Tanya, have you had a good time? Do you know what? Hearing you recap all of that, because as I was talking, I was thinking, oh, do I wish I'd, I'd chose something else there or said something else? But now that you've just recapped it, I feel fully confident that I would have a fantastic night if that was my night. I was thinking, please, can you put this on somewhere? Because I would love to come. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it's been a fantastic journey and I'm so pleased you're stuck to your guns throughout. I can't wait to see you for our Christmas special. Uh, But thank you for taking us on a trip to the movies. Thank you so much. And as Tanya's cab carries her away from our virtual cinema, off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema. As I said at the start, the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week. And if you'd like the chance of getting these tickets, all you have to do is leave us a review of the show or a comment on our socials. You can leave the review on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can get in touch on any of our socials, Twitter, 
Instagram and TikTok, where we are at Trip to Movies Pod. The competition is only open to UK residents, and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full ad-free video interview for today's Tanya Burr episode, and indeed every guest on our Trip to the Movies Patreon as well as early access to the podcast too. If you'd like to get a taste of those video interviews, why not subscribe to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel? And that really is it. I'll be back next week when another guest takes us on a trip to the movies. Bye-bye.